0: You are worthy, Lamb of God. Um, that, that's, today is not the only day of this type that we gather. This is a round-a-year thing for us. Um, although we celebrate, we celebrate this day because we celebrate it as an actual event. Um, that's why we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, Lord God. But um, in reality, um, those who walk in newness of life because of you have all of their days permeated and filled with your resurrection. So in light of that, bless our time as we gather for your name, for your purpose, and for your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. A couple of household items. Just want to thank the Connections team uh, for their work in the lobby. Yeah, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Brother Ak, Um, Zay doing a bunch of painting, bunch of brothers. Um, thank you for that. And Big Jay from Drexel. Where Jay at? Did the... Uh, did the artwork down there, um, um, photography using gifts to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, y'all. Amen. Let's give God a big up for that one more time. <laughs> slowly but surely, from a slowly but surely from a vision perspective, we want Epiphany Fellowship um, from the inside and on the outside. Even though this is just a building, we know that it is not the church, but we know that it's the gathered Christians who come here that is the church. However we still must be good stewards of everything that God has placed in our sphere. Therefore, we are wanting to work to make the building reflect the redemptive reality that we believe the gospel brings here. And so that means that we want to power wash the front. You know what I'm saying? We need to get new windows. Amen. Um, we, 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 there's a lot of stuff that we want to do. And this is not so that we can just have a nice facility, and, but, but really to reflect um, who Jesus Christ is that we can't, talk about urban renewal if our stuff don't look renewed. Amen. Somebody to hear me. We can't have a, a condemned-looking build- building talking we're going to help you get a house and get your stuff together, right? And so, you know, so we're going to have to, we going to have to, you know, continue to plow at that, you know, so that we won't need plastic anymore. I know my sisters, they're about to go in right now. They said, I rebuke that spirit of Osor in the name of Jesus. You know, we had this catch on fire. Not, you know, so we just had some stuff. You know, so we want to get we want to get it all looking reflecting the new reality of a kingdom that is coming. So that when people come here, they feel like they're in an oasis. Amen. So we want to really, 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 really work on doing that. Not because we're trying to just do it just because, but we really want to reflect the reality um, that Christ is among us, um, even in how we take care of what He's given us. Amen. Man, so excited about that. Frequency conference also. Y'all, uh, y'all, y'all need to come on through. We really, want, we really want you to be trained. One of the things that I don't want us to become is I don't want us to, to, to create discipleship codependency. You know, one of the things, nobody's walking with me. Okay, I hear you. W- w- somebody's going to walk with you for a while. Nobody's going to walk with you for the rest of your life. And so we're going to break the spirit of codependency. And we want to train people to be Christians, not to look for somebody else to be a Christian for them. So discipleship, we believe in life-on-life discipleship. We believe in community, but you need to study your Bible. You You need to get in your word. You need to not just have people pray for you, but you need to know how to pray. You need to know how to reproduce. And so... What the Frequency Conference is about is not about Epiphany having a conference. That's not what it's about, or we wouldn't do it. Y'all know we, that's not how we are. We want to really see you bum, bum rush the breakout sessions, to learn how to see Jesus in the scriptures for yourself. Um, um, this is not a cult where I stand up as lead pastor and tell you everything. Um, and the only thing that you hear from the Bible is what I say from the Bible. Well, That's, that's called a cult. Um, but when Christians are empowered to look in the Bible based on them having the Holy Spirit, the Scriptures, um, um, and um, the people of God in the Word, we, we want you to be able to study the Scriptures for yourself. So we want you in some hermeneutic classes. Amen. We want you in some Christ in the Pentateuch. That's the, that's the first five books of the Bible. Somebody said, what's a Pentateuch? You know, I didn't know what it was. Um, th- that's the first five books about Christ in the Gospels. Bible study methods and hermeneutics. You getting up in there, and that's ain't big words, so we can walk around and talk about how much we know. But we want the purpose of this is to know your God better. Yeah. I rarely mention this, but the reason why I have almost nine years of post undergraduate education was not so I can have a bunch of letters behind my name, but because I wanted to know God better. That's that's it. Not to use big words, but to know God better. So, so, so what we're trying to do is we, we, want to, we want to do this so that you can know God better. So the Frequency Conference, that's what it's about next weekend. And then we're going to have a great time. So y'all need to bum rush it, bombard it, and um, use all of God's means of grace um, uh, through discipleship to see him grow us as a ministry. Y'all with me? All right, well, today is Resurrection Sunday. We celebrate the fact that the first day of the week some ladies trickled in uh, to the tomb, up to the tomb of the Lord Jesus Christ, and saw that it was already opened. And somebody said, who do you seek? (laughs) I like the way he said, why do you seek the living among the dead? (laughs) Oh, Lord, that did make me rock back and forth on that one. (laughs) But yeah, why do you seek the living among the dead? And so we celebrate Jesus Christ. We celebrate the power of his resurrection. We're a cross-centered church we'll talk about later as we go through the message. It's going to be real simple, real, you know, real, real brief um, today. But, but, but really the reality of his resurrection. And we're going to talk about the impact of the resurrection today. The impact of it. And, and, and the passage we're going to go into um, today is Revelation chapter 20, verse 6. Revelation chapter 20, verse 6. It's the last book of the Bible. You just go to the end. If you're in your index, just go till you see a bunch of words together like paragraphs. That's Revelation. All right? I'm going to read from verse 1. Then we're going to dive right in. Talk about the impact of the resurrection. Just real brief. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit. In his hand, the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan. Same person, not too different. And bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until until the thousand years were ended or complete. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw... Thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been he- beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and who had not worshiped the beast or its image, and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection over such the second death has no power but they will be priests of God and of Christ and they will reign with him for a thousand years. We want to spend our time in verse 6. I know that most times when people look at Revelation they think we're going to put up some charts and, you know, just kind of talk about kind of some nice colorful charts with blue, yellow and orange and red in it and kind of walk through these periods and, and what's going on in Revelation. But the strangest thing about um, most teachings on Revelation is it has only to do with the structure of Revelation, not the purpose of Revelation. See, see Revelation is, is, can be boiled down to a very simple treatise, we would say. Um, it tells you in the first chapter what the doggone book is about. Amen. It tells you in verse, chapter 1, verse 1, what the book is about. It says it in the first clause. It says the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what revelation is about. It's not about bold judgments and trumpets and angels and the devil. If you come away focusing more on your eschatological uh, premise of being post, uh, you know, for some of you, uh, this is for the Christian ease, folk, um, whether you're a, a millennial, premillennial, postmillennial, mid-wrath, pre-wrath, whatever your view of the eschatological coming of Christ is about, if you walk away with only a view of the events and not of Jesus, you've missed the book. <laughs> if, you don't, if Jesus is not revealed to you as you read Revelation, you've missed the point of the book. And so um, I know that different Christians, especially this passage of Scripture, chapter 20, is the... Above all verses, the most controversial um, splitting hair verses in the entire corpus of the Bible. Um, and, and, every, and different sects of Christianity argue about these things. But what's beautiful even about those different arguments, because you may be a skeptic here today and say, see, y'all always disagreeing with each other. Well, we may disagree on some semantics, but there are certain things about this and about the book of Revelation that Christians do not argue about. And if you argue about them, you've left what we call Christianity. Uh, What we we focus in on is the fact that Jesus died on an actual cross. He wasn't a specter or (coughs) Judas didn't take his place or something like that. He himself in a physical body with himself being God died on that cross, was buried in an actual grave and got up. He ascended into heaven on a cloud and will return the same way. We all believe that. Our main belief that we all believe is that Jesus is coming back. We believe in a literal heaven, not a figurative heaven. Heaven is not a state of mind. It is both a place and a state of mind. Amen. Um we believe in a literal hell. It's not it's not figurative hell. Like cuz God is such a loving God and God is gracious and so uh, you know you know we, he's love so the God I know the my God he doesn't he doesn't kill people forever. I don't know which one we're talking about. The God of the Old Testament, that guy in the New Testament, I like him. Now, that guy in the Old Testament, he's off the chain. I don't like him because he was, he was knocking 23,000 people out a day, killing people, sending snakes in people's camps, um, killing firstborn. I mean, but that God, he can't be the same one. You're going to find out today that the God of heaven and his attributes are the same yesterday, Today and forevermore. And he's always been gracious. He's always been just. He's always been loving. He's always been peaceful, but he's always been wrathful. He's always been holy. He's always been just. He's always been a beast. Always, always, always. It's never, ever changed. He never changed. Man changes. Seasons changes. Attitude changes. Emotions changes. Even your body's going to change. But God stays the same somebody to hear me today, so as we walk through this passage, I, I want you to really zoom in and understand and appreciate the impact of the resurrection today, the impact of Jesus Christ dying on the cross and getting up from the grave. We're, we're going to zoom in on that, and in this passage today, we see throughout the book of Revelation where Jesus Christ is floored. I mean, John, John the Revelator, whether you believe he's John the Apostle or John the Bishop of the Jerusalem church, he was floored. He was on the Isle of Patmos. So on the Isle of Patmos, he took a nap one day. And instead of just having a dream, he woke up and he was standing there. He was like, whoa. He looked around and saw this dude standing in front of him fly. He'd never seen dude this fly before. And he immediately fell down. And this guy didn't tell him to get back up like normal. See, usually when God sees an angel or something, angels say, get back up. I'm just like you. But this guy, when he got down, says, keep doing that. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. You all right. Right there where you at. And he worshiped this dude with wool dreadlocks. Flaming heat, ray, heat vision eyes. Just flame like, a, like, a, like Dark Side off of Superman. You know what I'm saying? He, he had on a linen outfit just swinging every which way. You know, it's Isaiah 6 upgraded. He had on some sandals. He was real fashionable. <laughs> he, had a, he had a bronze pedicure. <laughs> Burnish brass. I mean, just fly. Right? He's rocked by him, so he starts telling him about the things that are going to take place quickly. He begins laying out, and he dispenses it and leaves it to an angel to kind of walk him through these visions. And so this blind man goes to sleep, wakes up in a vision, and he's taken throughout the entire eschatological. When we say eschatological, we mean last things, how God is going to finish up things. And as we walk through, we see the churches are warned in relation to what their response is supposed to be. I don't believe those are different periods of time church-wise. I believe that was the first period of time, those first churches, he was warning them. Then all of a sudden you get to uh, a chapter and it talks about 144,000 people. And some of the, the, the um, you know, I like it when the Jehovah's, they tell us that, you know, the 100, only 144,000 is going is to spend eternity with God. 144,000. And there's been over 100 trillion people alive. But then they don't read the other verse, where it says, and I saw a number that I could not count. And it's just myriads of myriads of myriads of myriads of people that cannot even be. He didn't even, John didn't even try to number them. Then it talks about all of these judgments that are happening. Then all of a sudden you get to Revelation chapter 9 and you see the marriage supper of the Lamb where God marries, Jesus Christ marries all of the people of God of all times. And then he mounts his horse. All of those who are in heaven at the time mount their horses. Join him, and now they're here, and we're back on planet Earth. And he sets up what I believe is a literal millennial rule. I don't believe it's figurative rule. Um, I believe in a literal millennium. Some would call that a what this view that we have as a historic premillennialism position. And, and 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 what's beautiful about this passage is what's said about them. What's said about these people that are hanging with Jesus. Now we're not going to talk too much about the people. In the sense of making this man sinner, but the impact of the one who they're flanked with or they're flanking in order to lift him up and give him honor and glory and praise for his resurrection. And so I just got one point. I think I got one point. Yep. Just one point. We're just going to spend time in this verse. The resurrection both vindicates and condemns. The resurrection both vindicates and condemns. Verse 20, I mean, verse 6 of this chapter is pointing to the time of the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus, the Christ. And what happens here is right in this verse, you see John describing what he saw. And, and, and a statement was made in verse 6. Statement was made in verse 6 where he says to them, he says, blessed and holy. Stop there. This is this, this beautiful language here because... The linguistics of this points to a biblical uh, a biblical uh, uh, phraseology called beatitudes. Say beatitudes. See, I know that you know some of y'all you know went to vacation Bible school. You know, I'm saying back in the day. You know, when I went to vacation Bible school, you know, you were there. You know, the morning you learned about Moses and the beatitudes. That's what you learned about Moses' partnership and all of that. God see through Moses, but it was always focused on Moses. Then you see, then you then we then we would go through the beatitudes. And we would um, we would eat uh, the, the fruit punch that the old mothers would make, that red juice that had I know it the anointing was in that juice. You know they, they had real fruit in it. You know what I'm saying? Hit you right up in here. You know what I'm saying? Then they had the cookies, the assortment of cookies. You know what I'm saying? And they put your little napkin down and you'd have your three cookies on there. You know what I'm saying? You drink your juice with your little crumbs on your mouth and hear the Beatitudes taught. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And um and um and so and so and so and so we would hear about beatitudes. <laughs> Come on back now. And so, <laughs> and, and so and so the beatitudes were taught. But this this idea of blessed actually marks a subgenre of God's teaching on a mindset called the beatitudes, which is more than just Matthew chapter five verses one through about. The eighth or tenth verse, which are blessed are those, blessed are those, blessed are those, blessed are those. The Beatitudes is broader. In, math and, um, in Revelation alone, there are about six to seven Beatitudes in chapter one, verse three, in chap- and, uh, verse 14, and uh, uh, I mean, chapter 14, verse 13, chapter 16, verse 15, chapter 19, verse nine. You'll see the blessed statements. Now these are some beautiful statements because this blessed um, here and uh, connected with uh, a holy uh, hagias points to a beautiful philosophy. It means it really, really just means it addresses the blessed state of those who share in the glory of Christ. That's what it means. So the, the beatitudes point to a state for Christian, a condition or a state in being in God's grace and favor. That means that everybody that was standing there chilling with him at this point, or everybody that was hanging out with him right at this point, they are in a good place. Real simply. A good state of being. And this is one of the flyest places in, I don't know, I don't care about anybody. This is the best place to be in all times, period. Hanging out with the Lord Jesus Christ. And nobody being able to mess with you. See, right here, it's kind of, least see, the, the idea is being in this state, in this context, it's kinda like bullies being around and you know usually when you didn't your big brother wasn't around you know you would talk smack and run and stand behind your big brother or somebody that could fight better than you and so the bullies wouldn't mess with you because of the presence of the one who can fight better than you see that's the same thing is happening right here we're, we're, we're in a good state, we're in a protected state these persons are char- characterized by transcendent happiness and religious joy, and blessedness, and bliss. And so, 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 so this is a great... He, he's, he's making a pronouncement uh, of the position of those who have trusted Christ by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone, who, who are in a good state, a good position, and even a good sphere to be in. But then he calls them holy. Now, holy here is not merely being used um, in, the, in, in the normal use of holiness, which just talks about intrinsic righteousness. In other words... Um, all have sinned and fall short of the? Okay, so the glory of God in that passage is speaking about God's standard. God's standard is that everyone would be holy. Now, that's called intrinsic holiness. Extrinsic holiness is when you act out the holiness that you have out in, in, inside of you. If you're holy on the outside and not holy on the inside, you're not really holy. However, um, you're just moralistic and, and trying to be a good person, right? But true holiness comes from the inside out. But it has to be given, it can't be taken. Somebody ought to hear me. So here, here though, intrinsic and extrinsic holiness is not the holiness it's talking about here. It's really talking about worship. <laughs> because later it's gonna call us priests of the most high God. It's talking about us being utensils of God. That, that's the point of it. When in, in, in Romans chapter 9, verse 23, it says, We are vessels of mercy. That means God chose to just flagrantly file us with his, with his holiness. Just flagrantly throw his holiness all over us. And, and, and then there are vessels of wrath that will spend etern- eternity damned and used for unusefulness, but he has anointed a, 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 a those who have trusted him um, 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 as, as vessels that are user-friendly in his hands. Now, you got to understand the temple language here. See, there's a temple, but it doesn't have physical bricks. It doesn't have brick and mortar and cement between it, but the bricks here, based on uh, Ephesians chapter two, verse twenty, says, "Built upon the foundation." of the apostles and the prophets. They're the foundation. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. However, in order for the building to be a building, there has to be something built on top of it for it to be completed. Well, the thing that makes us a true temple of God, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, is us, every time someone trusts Jesus Christ as Savior, we're built into a temple and we're stacked on one another and we're built into an eternal holy temple. So we are utensils because, listen, everything in the Old Testament temple was a shadow and a pointing to the true and living temple that is filled with the living God. So when he says blessed and holy, he's talking about the temple of the people of God as the priesthood of God together worshiping the living God. So it's just so it's like, like, it's like I don't know, what's, what's the dude named Pigpen? You remember Pigpen off of um, Charlie Brown? And, um, and how and Pepe Le Pew, how the aroma would go out from him? People are like, whoo, flowers be dying and carrying on. And the aroma was, was the fragrance that they let off. Well, see, we won't be doing a sacrificial system. We, we will have the aroma of God on us. And that aroma will go out. It won't be a stench, but it will be a flagrant aroma of lives that have been sacrificed in light of the ultimate life that's been sacrificed. And God will sniff us for eternity because of Jesus Christ. So he will enjoy us as utensils, worshiping him in his presence, in the present. I mean, God is going to enjoy himself, too, even though he doesn't need us to enjoy himself because he's been enjoying himself for eternity. Although he allows himself to enjoy enjoying us, even though he doesn't need to enjoy us. <laughs> so our worship doesn't make God m- more anything about himself. He feels and thinks all that he's ever going to think of himself. But he allows himself to enjoy worship. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he takes pleasure in dwelling among his people. So he says, blessed and holy. But then this is the part I like. See, 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 this is the part that's booming right here. It says, blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Watch out now. Now, now, now what's interesting about this first resurrection is you see, you ever told somebody, You know, you can't really appreciate something until you understand the history of it. This is one of those things, to understand the first resurrection, you can't really enjoy the first resurrection until you understand all of the pre-resurrections that predated this first resurrection. Now, this first resurrection is in relation to the new and final resurrections that will happen. But there have been resurrections happening since the Old Testament. And all of them pointed to this resurrection. And another resurrection that's going to happen after this. Now we're going to do a biblical theology of resurrections for a little while. Is that okay? Now, 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 you got to have your Bible with you. Old Testament resurrection—you'll see what's called—you'll see temporal resurrections, and you'll see prophetic resurrections. I'm not going to turn there on this one, but in Second Kings chapter 13, verse 21, you see what's called a temporal resurrection. That's when someone is raised from the dead, but they'll die again. That's, that's got to be bad if you're a believer. You wake up in heaven and then have to go back. That's rugged to me. <laughs> I'll be like, no, hold on. <laughs> but the guy got thrown into uh, Elijah's grave and he, um, he got up from the grave, pointing to something in particular. Then you'll see in the Old Testament prophecies of resurrections. Because you'll remember in John 11 when Jesus came into the village where uh, Bethany, um, and Mary heard that he was there, and she said, she said said to him, it was interesting, she said, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus wept over that and everything, and and she said, but I I know that if you were here, he would have been raised from the dead, and Jesus says, Jesus points to her and and says, "Um, even though he is dead, he shall live, and she said, oh, I know, you know, you're getting all theological. I'm grieving and you preaching theology. Like, empathize with me, Jesus. Like, I know when everything gets consummated and all of us, we're going to be resurrected. All right, but cry with me for a moment. Continue to weep with me. And what's interesting is she's saying that based on her understanding of prophetic literature in the Old Testament, like in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 19, where it says, your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust awake, sing for joy. So that was prophetic utterances that pointed to an ultimate resurrection of all redeemed people. The Jews of the Old Testament would have thought that it was only them. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, it says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And so it was already, the new, the the resurrections uh, is nothing new theologically and not, and not biblically. In other words, resurrections were always expected to happen. That's why the Pharisees asked Jesus that crazy question. He, they say, they said, okay, we got, we got him now. Let's, let's, let's gather. He say, they say, um, so if, 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 if this woman is married to this dude, he dies. He's married to that dude, he dies. He's married to this dude, he dies. Whose husband is she? And they said, we got him. They pounded. He says, neither. None of them. Because all of y'all are going to be, n- n- um, 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 male and female together. It ain't going to be either or. And they were like, hey, he always messing stuff up, right? And so it's not going to be male or female. But you will be spiritual beings. You can, turn, you, can, you can write this down also, Hosea 6, verse 2. Then you see an unredeemed. There are two types of resurrections in the Bible. There's uh, 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 two categories of it. There's temporal, eternal, and there's redeemed and unredeemed. Now, one of the unredeemed resurrections that's a scary, controversial passage is 1 Samuel chapter 28, where you see Samuel being raised, quote-unquote, from the dead. I believe that God sanctioned that to bring judgment on Saul, even though the oracle of Delphi did that. God utilized it to judge um, because of the truthfulness of the prophecy and the reality of that. So that wasn't, I don't believe that was a demonic entity. But then you come over to the New Testament, and and, and, and you see... Again, unredeemed resurrections, and you see redeemed resurrections. Some resurrections will be demonic resurrections, which Revelation talks about, that uh, the false prophet uh, will do. Um, You also see um, judgment resurrections, which we will see in a moment, where the the second resurrection, not the first, the second one, you you better be real scared at that second joint. I'm just letting you know right now. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But that, that's off the, that, 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 that resurrection is going to be a rugged resurrection. I don't want to be a part of that resurrection, all right? But we're going to talk about that resurrection in a second, um, judgment resurrection. You can could, you could also, um, you could also uh, look at Luke chapter 16, verse 23, and you can look at uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, because what's bad about that resurrection is that resurrection is for everybody that was in the holding cell called Hades. Like, people aren't in hell yet. They're just being held in Hades right now, suffering, in a holding cell. The, the, this holding cell is worse than San Quentin prison on steroids. Um, it, was so, it, was, it was so rugged, even though they're not in the lake of fire, dude is on, burning like a mug, the rich man. He said, man, can you tell homie to get me like a paintbrush, dip it in some water and light it on my tongue? And Abraham was like, nah, stay over there. You know what I'm saying? So they, they're in the holding cell called Hades hanging out for judgment. So they haven't really been judged yet because the fullness of God's wrath hasn't been poured out on the unbelieving yet. So the, so, 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 right now, even when you read the passages on Hades, it's scary just reading that. But that's not all that's going to be, and we'll see that in a second. <laughs> but then we see what's called redemptive resurrections. Redemptive resurrections, and there's two types of those, the temporal and eternal resurrections. The temporal ones is like Lazarus and, and John 11. You also see in Acts 9-4, little Tabitha being raised from the dead. These resurrections were done to point to the fact that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. The resurrection isn't merely an event but found in a person, Jesus. But this points to Jesus' power over death. If somebody tells you they raised somebody from the dead and their goal is to focus you on somebody being raised from the dead, they're being used by the enemy. If you come away, if you come away from a miracle focusing on the person doing the miracle, which we do believe in miracles, however, if the focus of the miracle focus on the miracle worker in the human form, then that's demonic. But, but Jesus says, see, he, 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 he stood in front of the stone. This was, it's so fly how he did it. The crowd was all gathering around, they weeping, you know, they hired people to cry. You know, that's crazy, right? They hired people to cry. He said, roll a stone away. He turned around. He looked up. He said, God, I know you know who I am, right? You know, but just so they'll know that I am, ego I me, the resurrection and the life. Ego I me points to the fact that Jesus says, I'm God. That's why they won't stone him in John 8. Ego I me points to the Old Testament. I am who I am. And so he said, he said, in order that they may know that I am the resurrection and the life. In other words, the point of it was to point to Jesus, not Lazarus, Not not some magician's trick. But so that they may know that this is a sneak preview of coming attractions, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus got back in his body. (gasps) He wrapped in wrappings. Like I could see, probably see through the light coming into the thing, and he comes out. You know what I'm saying? I would have, I don't know, I'd have been upset a little bit. Like I'm chilling, enjoying, then I wake up, you know, back in the wrappings smelling before I smelled, right? So it was just a few days before he started smelling. His body undecayed, blood back in. The, I mean, that was a miracle. They took it off, but that was only a pointer. It was to point. Those, those temporal resurrections were to point to Jesus' ability to have power over death. That's why we celebrate the resurrection, because Jesus Christ has power over death. That's why we celebrate is because death Cannot hold us. The sting of death has been removed and Jesus Christ by his power has shown that he is over all things. That's what the pointer is. And so we suppose the miracles are for us to appreciate Jesus more, not ask for stuff to happen miraculously so we can see some magician show. And that's 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 not what miracles about even though we believe in miracles and so we look at temporal resurrection then we look at what we call unifying and sanctifying resurrections there are two types of those you'll see one of them in Revel, I mean, uh, Romans chapter 6 Romans chapter 6 verses 1 through 14 <coughs> I'll only read a little bit of that but this is the one that, 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 that we walk in right now it says we shall uh, what shall, verse, uh, ch- verse 1, Romans chapter 6, says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, should we act a fool to get more grace? And he says, no. Stop tripping. He says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? That means that you can't say you're a Christian and decide that you're not going to repent of any sin. And you can't decide that I'm going to just be in the world and wow how I want to. That, that may be mean that you're not a Christian. It says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Wow. And this is not talking about physical baptism, this is talking about spiritual baptism. When I say spiritual baptism, it's not talking about the second blessing of receiving the Holy Spirit after salvation, it's talking about when you trust Jesus Christ by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone, what happens is you are baptized with Christ. So you, you are immediately unified with Christ's death on the cross, just like you were unified with Adam when he ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. and buried with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we look what it says. It says in verse 4, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. In order, why? That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So the resurrection is supposed to cause us to act different. That means we're supposed to walk with power over sin I mean, God now gives you the grace to say no to sin. That means you can't walk around I'm so sinful, and you know I'm totally depraved, and oh, God, I, I'm just, I just see my sin. I, I just see me. I, I, just see my sin. That is so self-worshipping. Stop worshiping yourself. Get off yourself. See, it sounds humble to say I'm so sinful, and I'm just, I'm just so dirty. And okay, well, you ain't got to tell nobody that. However, there is another divine reality that exists. You have been raised with Christ. That means you have been empowered through the cross and the resurrection for something to be different about you. If you say you're a Christian and nothing's different about you, you may want to check yourself for you wreck yourself. Because newness of life means, family, that your life should be transformed. Your life should be better today than it was yesterday. It should be better tomorrow than it is today. You should be progressively growing deeper in your knowledge of God, your love for God, and your practice of His principles. He, he didn't save you for you to chill. He didn't save you to say, well, to get fire insurance. He saved you to actually look like Jesus, practically. That's I know he sees me, he sees Jesus, so I ain't got to do nothing. See, that's why, see, now we need to go through the gospel. Now we need to go over the gospel again. Because if you think that you can become a Christian and do what you want and live like you want and just say, I'm just glad I'm going to heaven, be very afraid. Because a person that has been impacted by grace doesn't work to get saved, but work because they are saved. And so the resurrection empowers us, yeah. empowers us to do stuff differently. Yeah. And so, and so that's what it talks about. it's all so, about. the resurrection is so powerful. Paul even brings out this unifying, sanctifying understanding of resurrection. In Philippians chapter three, two, um, chapter three, he says in verse eight, he says, "Indeed, every." He said, "I count everything." as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish do do that is in order that I may gain Christ he says, and be found in him Jesus Christ is the true lost and found not having a righteousness of my own I don't proclaim how good I am I don't claim how much I know I don't claim how many works I do, but this is not a righteousness of my own, but this is a righteousness that comes that it doesn't come from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. that means by Christ alone, by Christ alone, not Christ and I read my Bible, not Christ and I pray, although reading the Bible and praying is important, not Christ. And I watch TBN, not Christ, and I look at the Word Network, not Christ, and I look at Daystar, not Christ, and I quoted the Bible, not Christ and I genuflect, not Christ and I put holy water on my forehead, not Christ, and I went and went to Ash Wednesday service, not Christ and I come to Sunday morning together, not Christ and I go to cypher groups, not Christ and I and not Christ Christ minus everything. Equal salvation. So he says, a righteousness that's not of my own. Now listen to his resurrection language. He says, verse 10, he says, that I may know him, that's salvation, and the power of his resurrection. Now, everybody liked that part. But in order to have a resurrection, he said, and I may fellowship with his suffering. He said, I hang out with Jesus' sufferings. And so what God does in the life of the Christian, see, you can't appreciate the first resurrection until you know about all these other ones. The Christian's life is booby-trapped with sufferings, resurrections, suffering, resurrection, suffering, resurrections. Now, suffering, resurrection, that resurrection isn't money, it's not cars, it's not a house. That's not what it is. Those resurrections in the context is God renewing you to a difference than you were the day before. So when you fellowship with his sufferings, he works on your soul. Then what happens is he'll give you freedom from it. Sometimes he'll take you out. Sometimes he'll keep you in it. The resurrection is the difference that happens because he allowed you to go through the suffering and you're better than you were before you went through the suffering. That's true resurrection. So if you go through hell and you're wondering why God hasn't taken you out of it yet because you're not ready to pop out the toaster yet. You're not ready yet. And so every Christian is a life of suffering. That's, that's how your life is going to be forever. And what it does in the Christian is it creates in us a groaning. It creates in us a discomfort here. If you're here and you're comfortable on planet Earth, wow. See, when you suffer, you're like, dog, I hate this place, but I know that it's better. I know that I'm going to be better. And then he'll give you a resurrection. You'll be like, oh, whoo. You start stretching. You're like, oh, I feel good for right now. Then all of a sudden you walk a little further. Another side, oh, shoot. I want to go to glory. And it's like, oh God, I thank you for the life you give me here. And then you go through, and, oh Lord, heaven. And that's what life is like. But what it does is it makes you pursue him more. It makes you look at him more. And it makes you point to the trueness of the new life that he's going to give. But the, re- but the issue is, God doesn't allow us to go through hopeless sufferings. The resurrections that he gives you are just reminders that he's coming back. Every time he gives you room in a storm, just, he just says, I'm coming back. Just wait on me a little longer. He's like, all right. He said, now get back in the game. He put you out by, and you, you know, you're in the huddle. See, the resurrection is the huddle. The suffering is the game. Y'all, y'all, ain't, y'all ain't talking with me right now. But he's going to huddle you up, put you back in the playbook, and then put you back out of the field. There is no such thing as a sideline Christian. <laughs> but, but in order to appreciate the first resurrection, you've got to understand these resurrections. And so this points to Jesus' power over sin. His power, that means you have the ability through the Christ to mortify the flesh. That means you can't wallow in your sinful condition because that's self-idolatry. God gives you the ability to nail your stuff to the doggone cross. When it gets nailed to the cross, he raises you, up, but he's not going to mortify you. I mean, he's not going to resurrect you until you mortify. What does mortification mean? When you decide, I'm not going to do it no more. Do you know you have the ability to do that? Through Christ. You have the ability to do that. I know we talk all about our depravity, but let's talk about the power of Christ. Let's talk about the power of Christ. We know we're depraved, but we're also new. If any man be in Christ, he is a... Yeah. 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 So we need to get out. That's why he says, pick up your cross... Daily, because you're going to have to nail some stuff all day because of how raggedy we are. So you just walk all day. What's up, y'all? Saying hi to each other. Crosses walking across each other. You know what I'm saying? And you just look at me. Give me uh, you confess your sin to another. Do he nailed it on his cross? You nailed it on his cross. You know what I'm saying? And you keep walking through the day, but he raises you with new mercies every morning. Every, every morning, new mercy is sitting beside your bed. I can't wait till you wake up. Because what God is going to do is, as you mortify, God wakes you up every single day with new mercies. Somebody ought to hear me. See, we worship Him, not us. Yeah, 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 yeah. The grace and mercy stalk you all day. Somebody ought to hear me. They walk behind you saying, doing like this. They walking, they stalking them. And, and trying to figure out how can God bring grace and mercy to your life? That happens through resurrections. But it also ha- happens a- while you're suffering. Because God doesn't wait till a resurrection to give you grace and mercy. He gives you grace and mercy while you're yet in your suffering. Uh, somebody ought to hear me. He said he would never leave you or forsake you. He, he won't. We don't believe in an abandonment. God is not a, a, a deadbeat dad. But then I got to move on with the resurrections. Then we get back over to the first resurrection. Now, this is beautiful. It says, blessed are those who share in the first resurrection. Now, this is beautiful right here. This this is fly than a mug right here. Now, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ mounts his horse. I mean, he mounts his horse. I wonder are the cherubim going to still be covering him, you know, when he comes. He probably unveils it because they're going to be running. That's right. So, um, so his I mean, his, 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 his robe is flying, and we're going, to, our, we're going to be on our horses, you know what I'm saying, riding behind him. Then he's going to come on a cloud back, and he's going to set up a temporary kingdom. Because God, the Bible says uh, in Psalm 1, 110, 1 and 2, he says, My Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool to your feet. And so Jesus is going to put to death all the final enemies. So that's what this is going to be about. And we're going to hang out with him while he does that. But what's so powerful is, is that those who are dead in Christ are going to get a new body. Those who are alive are going to be transformed. And we're going to hang out with Jesus forever. Now, it's not about heaven, it's about Jesus. Amen. So we're going to have new bodies. Now, these new bodies are going to be so fly. Jesus said, Jesus said in John that, he, that he, flesh and blood can't enter the kingdom of heaven. He said that. But flesh and bones can. Now, none of us will have blood anymore. We won't need blood anymore. Because the Bible says we'll be like him, Second Corinthians chapter 5. We'll be like him. So we'll be just flesh and bones and new spirit, fully glorified, in a nice new body, hanging out with each other in him. I don't know what these new bodies, we're going to be able to eat. I don't know what our circulatory system, our digestive system is going to be like at that point. We'll be able to, somebody's going to be walking past, and you'll be able to see through the wall, and you put your head through the wall and say, what's up, man, and come back through the wall. I mean, it's going to be a crazy new bodies that we'll be able to enjoy. We'll be in glorified bodies. Um, I mean, I just don't know what it's going to, but the Bible says, Paul runs out of words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in describing what we're going to be like. He says, I don't know what we're going to be like, he says, but all I know is that we're going to be like him. In other words, the Bible doesn't even describe how resurrected and glorified the Christian is going to be with Christ. That Paul, who's the greatest theologian of all times outside of Jesus, runs out of words, and he knows several languages, and and the languages of earth can't even describe the glory of Christ's coming. So he he said, Blessed are those who share in the first resurrection. We're going to be chilling. That dude's going to be hype! We're going to have new outfits, tattoos, everybody going to be tatted. Y'all didn't know that, did you? Everybody going to have a name. Jesus got a name on his thigh. He going to have a split in his robe. He going to be showing it. It's going to be burnish brash, and then it's going to be like, like, it's going to be all that. Him and the Father only know. They be high-fiving each other. They don't even know, do they? It's just between us. That's the only thing we're not going to learn in eternity. Then all of us going to be tatted. All of us going to have new names. I don't know what the new name going to be. Shameka, Kada, somebody going to be named Kada, there's a new name. It's going to have meaning, though. It's going to have meaning. It's going to be between you and your daddy. You and your daddy. And what's so powerful about these bodies is the Bible says that the second death has no power over them. So this is how powerful the glorified state in Jesus Christ can be. Is, not can be. We will be able to go into the lake of fire and it not bother us. Because the second death is the lake of fire. Now God is going to take the old holding cell called Hades and death and throw it into the lake of fire. And those who don't know him, he's going to put them in there, the devil and his angels who it was originally made for. They're going to spend eternity there. But it will not bother us because 2 Peter chapter 3 says the heavens and the earth will burn with intense heat and that heat we will be able to survive and those bodies will be able to survive the glory of God because no man can see God and live. Yeah. So we'll be able to see God, look at Him. For the first time, we will be able to lay our eyes into the unapproachable light of His glory and look at Him. We'll be able to look at Grace because He's upgraded our eyes. We don't even really have him glasses. <laughs> I just want to run into the camera right now. I mean, do you understand what Jesus did for us? He gave us the ability to spend eternity with Him and look at Him forever and not get used to it. You'll be looking at God forever and, and learn. like We'll probably be looking at His glory. Like one part of His attribute, just one part, just one part, aspect of one part of His attributes, we will only be able to study for eternity so we might not ever get, then he'll may look make his attributes, not mix them up but put them like in a rainbow so we can see them together I don't know what, but we'll get to enjoy and look at the beauty of God forever and ever and ever and ever and Jesus walks past you with the nail prints in his hands now when he touched me, I'm going to do a Michael Jackson fame the nail prints in his hands and the piercing in his side and we will be able to walk with him and enjoy him forever and the Holy Spirit just whoosh, 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 which whispering around. I mean, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit will spend their time with us because of this. See, that's the beauty of the new. You can't appreciate the first resurrection until you appreciate what brought us here. But the thing that brought us here was him going to Golgotha's Hill. See, see, it wasn't by your works, it wasn't by might, it wasn't by your strength, but it was by Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. And he died on the cross and was raised from the grave, and what it said was, even though he took on our sins, took on our guilt, took on our pain, took on everything, he still wasn't guilty, and so to keep him in the grave would have been a violation of his character, so he had to be raised from the grave to show everybody that he wasn't guilty that started a chain reaction because the first Adam when he sinned caused a chain reaction of all humanity killing us all killing all of the environment everything everything but Jesus Christ the second Adam comes to put away the works of the enemy and start a new chain reaction this chain reaction first changes our souls and then it's going to change eternity itself. And the second death, the Bible says, has no power on us, but, but over us. But it, says, but, but it says, but they will be priests of God and of Christ. So we will worship him for eternity. But what's crazy about this is the, what is the first death is there was a second death. What was, the, what was the first death? The first death was when Adam decided to rebel against God. And the Bible says in the Hebrew, dying you shall die, first death spiritual separation, and physical death will now happen to you. But then, there's a second death. That's the hard news. There will be a death, number two. Verse 11. And they saw a great white throne. Stop. If you wake up and you see a great white throne, be very afraid. Now see, we'll see a seat. Christians will see a seat. But non-Christians will see a throne. And him who sat, who was seated on it, from his presence, earth and sky fled away. That means they're probably in airplanes and stuff. <laughs> they're flying planes. So, oh, Lord, and they just flew away, right? Not sure of that, but. <laughs> Spooky interpretation. And no place was founded for them. So they tried to hide. And his glory was so massive that it shut down the ability for shadows to exist anymore. So everything became transparent. We're seeing through it, there he is, Jesus. get him. <laughs> and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were open. So God, now this is going to be bad. They're going to think everything's okay because God is going to take them out of Hades, wake them up, reconstitute their bodies, and put them back in their bodies. They're going to be standing there before him thinking, Phew, that was rugged. But that was not the worst part of it. That wasn't the worst part. And then, then, then the Bible says, the Bible now, says, and I saw the dead and the sm- great and small standing before the throne and books were opened. HD opened. Then another book was opened, which was the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books. Some people will say, Lord Jesus, I did miracles, powerful miracles in your name. And Jesus says, many of them will say that, and they'll call me Lord, Lord. But he's going to say, depart from me, ye doers of iniquity, for I never knew you. And he says, and the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. So no one will be able to blame their mama, their daddy, the neighborhood they grew up in. The back. nobody, You won't be able to say, well, I'm, I, well somebody did this to me. And He's he going to say, nah, let's talk about you. He said, then death and Hades, verse 14, were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death the lake of fire, and if anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is hell. That's where, since we, didn't, whoever does not trust Jesus Christ as Savior, decided that Jesus Christ's death was not a f- sufficient to, to please the wrath of God, God will allow you to please the wrath of God forever in hell. Because of our lack of righteousness, it takes eternity for us to pay for our sins. Therefore, you never can pay for your sin. That's why you remain there forever. Every human being alive deserves the lake of fire. Every one of us. No one isn't cute enough, nothing. Every one of us should go here. However, God being rich in mercy, sent his only son to die on a cross and to take on worse than the lake of fire on the cross. On our behalf, he was tortured for you and me and was buried and raised from the dead. And if you repent and say, I believe, I I don't want to die for myself. I believe that Christ died in my place. I repent, I turn away from my way of thinking, my way of doing things, and I want to trust Him and Him alone for salvation. I don't care if you grew up in church. I don't care if you sung in the choir or the praise team or you played or you were a musician or you were an usher or you helped them set up, that doesn't save you. I don't care if you were on the AV team. I don't care if you wiped the pastor's head or got him some water when he got um, thirsty. I don't care if you put a cape on him when he finished preaching. You're not saved. You don't know Jesus because of your relationship with any human being. I don't care if you're a PK and you heard more sermons than you can count. Your hearing of those sermons don't save you. Your response to the gospel does. So that doesn't save you. No works that you do save you. I don't hurt it. Somebody said, well, I don't hurt anybody. That's pride. You do. If you believe you, I don't, I've never done any, I've never killed anybody. I've never smoked. I've never drank. And I'm abstinent. What you're doing is telling God why he should save you. That's pride. That means, yes, you are a sinner, even if you grew up in the best home with the best parents with the best education, with the best cars, the best bank account, you manage your money well, none of that saves you. Those are great things, but they don't save you. (laughs) And many of you are here saying you don't deserve to be saved. Why would God save me as bad as I am? Why not? (laughs) You who grew up in the worst neighborhood, who got raped, who got molested, is just as, and who did dirt, is just as sinful as your offenders. That's hard. And those of you who think your life has been a great life, you're just as sinful as the ones who you look at on the 11 o'clock news. If all, of us are as, all of us are capable now of the most heinous, of sins. If you don't think you are, you are losing your mind. <laughs> all of us can do the worst of sins. I know some do say, I can never be a homosexual. You are capable of it. But homosexuality isn't the worst of sins. It's just as sinful as all the sinfulness of all sins of all times. <laughs> and so today, someone needs to trust Jesus today. Someone needs to place their confidence in Jesus Christ and him alone and his work, not anything else. Not your prayer life, not your outfit, not your education, not anything but Christ and Christ alone. Every head bow and every eye close. Maybe you're here today.